All right, so this is uh, episode two, Everything mm -hmm. But The Game. Um, I'm Greg, this is Jeffrey. Hello. Um, I probably forgot to introduce us last time, so we're going to do it this time. We do have names. We do. Um, we have names, and we have a place, which is Phoenix, roughly. Um, more or less. More or less, yeah. The only part of the country right now that doesn't seem to be in the middle of some kind of like hellish weather related stuff yeah. um and normally we are but not right now oh no we well we're we're, we're getting we're getting to that time of year yeah like we'll, we'll reach it soon enough we'll catch like, up yeah we're not in the middle of some kind of like a deep freeze or no you know. covid somehow kind of died down here for the moment but you know with the leadership that we have in place i'm sure it will be i'm sure it will be back soon yeah i'm not holding my breath on that um but yeah it, it does uh it does feel a little weird when you know, you have a place like Texas, which is mm -hmm. going through some pretty crazy shit, and then I'm complaining because like it's it's starting to get too warm right now. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so we uh, we just were down in in Tucson recently. Mm -hmm. um, the old Pe the old Pueblo. Yeah, a little south of us here, um, and you know it's pretty nice down there, of course, because uh, it's always like a little bit cooler down there than it yeah. is in Phoenix. Um, in fact, when we were there, uh, it was snowing on Mount Lemon, which is mm -hmm. the big mountain yeah. down there. Is it the biggest one in the state? Or? Uh, no, I think that's Humphreys. That's right, yeah. But definitely the biggest one in, in southern Arizona, yeah. I think. Uh, and so we wanted to go see it, uh, but we couldn't because there was this massive traffic jam, like yeah. miles long. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, like we just, because we were able to get past it, and like we were driving away from... Mm -hmm. Mount Lemon. We just kept passing this huge line of cars, and it just didn't seem like it would end. Yeah. And they were all trying to get up to the mountain. And of course, I think what was the cause of the the traffic jam was they had actually closed it because of the snow, right? Yeah. So all these people were waiting for nothing. Yes. <laughs> essentially, and probably had no idea. So at least we got out of it and were able to pivot. Yeah. Now that was lucky because we were coming from the other direction. We were able yeah. To turn, but otherwise we would have been stuck in it probably like half the day. Oh yeah. Yeah. That would have been a very sad lemon party. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess any lemon party is a sad lemon party. Uh, yeah, it may seem fun at the time, but ultimately it, it ends in sadness. It, it, yeah, it ends in a sour with a sour note. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a yeah, it's a bitter aftertaste. It is. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's a current um, reference. Yeah. So uh, before this, we were just talking a little bit about uh, about hockey because um, yeah. we're both big fans, and mm -hmm. uh, and you're from Minnesota originally, which yeah. is you know that's you know hockey kind of a USA, hockey hotbed basically yeah. yeah. But we were trying to figure out why um, Minnesota had, it's produced a, a lot of players over the years. Yeah. Probably more than any other U.S. state, but it, it ne hasn't necessarily produced a lot of like star players. At least not recently. Yeah, or, you know, we couldn't think of too many. Yeah. Um, but we were looking up, uh, you know, just to kind of refresh our memories, we were looking up some statistics. Yeah. And looking at a list of uh, the top uh, top like, point scores in NHL yeah. history. Uh, organized by their by country. By I country, think. yeah. And there were some interesting things on that. Yeah. God, you, <laughs> you still have it? I should. Oh, yeah, if you still have it up. 
Yeah, let me send it your way. Okay. See, we're professional here. Yeah. <laughs> Have our materials all lined up. Everything ready to go. Yeah. Everything but. <laughs> Everything but. Yeah. But yeah, so like we were looking at like the top point scorers by country. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the list is like things you'd expect. You know, certain players are maybe scored a lot more points than you would have you would think of them mm-hmm. like okay like Wayne Gretzky being the top point scorer from Canada is not surprising right Mark Messier being the second most is a little surprising to me yeah, like that was he was definitely a very good player but he's just not someone I would have thought would be the second most prolific scorer from from Canada right like somehow I thought it'd be like Rocky Richard or something, but yeah, I would have thought or you know Gordy Howe was third, you know. Yeah, that would have been my guess. But yeah, so it's just sort of like, but you know, so like you have the big countries, mm-hmm. but then there's also some countries where there's more disparity, right? Or fewer players. Yeah. Like, let's find it. As we kill time. So Slovenia, for instance. Mm-hmm. Okay, their top point scorer is Anze Kopitar right. uh, from uh, the Canes. 950 points in his career. Okay. Number two from uh, Slovenia, mm-hmm. Jan Mursak <laughs> with four points. Yeah. Those are apparently the only two Slovenians to register points in the AHL, at least according to the source. <laughs> Then you get weird things where, like, players are being kind of attributed to countries where maybe they were born but didn't, weren't, weren't raised in. Yeah. Um, and then you get to stuff like Serbia. Um, Ivan Baldarev, 866 points in his career. Uh, second best player from Serbia, apparently, is Stan Shmarka with three points. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, these are more fascinating. And there's, like, things like... Only eight players from Austria apparently have scored a point in NHL, which seems weird to me because I think of so many more players. I guess I thought of like Austria producing a lot more players than that. Yeah, I was a little surprised by that too. I thought that they would have had more by now. I'm also kind of confused that Falco's not on this list. <laughs> he should have like an honorary place on that list. I think so. I think really just anything of, you know, greatest Austrians in whatever you're talking about. Like, he should just be on that list by default. Yeah. Like, also, like, how are there only two players from Lithuania? Like, maybe this maybe that. this list is not very accurate. I'm, I'm willing yeah, to... Yeah, maybe it needs to be updated or something. Um, I thought there would have been a few more by now. Yeah. Because you just have Dengius uh, Zubras with 591 points and Darius Kasparaitis with... <laughs> 863 points. Yeah, which is uh, a lot more than I would have thought because he wasn't necessarily like a, a goal scorer. He was a, yeah. he was a pretty rough defenseman. Um, and then there's like fun things like, wait, why is Kazakhstan here? There's like, oh yeah, because it was Russia. Russia. Yeah. Or the Soviet Union at one mm-hmm. point. And then there's fun stuff like, okay, you get like one player from Paraguay. Yeah. Uh, Billy Plett. Yeah. And it was like a weird thing where it's like his parents were like during World War II fled from Rasta to Germany to Paraguay, were in Paraguay for a year before they made it to Canada. Uh-huh. So just like just by chance he was born in Paraguay. Right. So they're counting anybody, you know, based on where they're born, but they may not yeah. have necessarily grown up in that country. Like you get fun stuff like a one player Rod Langway from uh, t- uh, 
the Republic of China or Taiwan, depending yeah. on who you talk to. Right. Yeah, you could put both. You know, South Korea, of course, has Richard Park. Yes. And then Jim Pig. Mm-hmm. But just Richard Park is the main one. Yeah. Now, I think he was one who was adopted, right? And he was born in Korea, but he didn't grow up there. Something like that. I think in his case. Well, I think when in Jim Pig, he was actually from there, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So you get some fun stuff like that. Mm. Only three players ever from the Netherlands, apparently. That's quarter points. Yeah. Ed Beers, who I think is in Snowdobolicus. <laughs> yeah, he does sound like a Dutch carnival. With singer. 210 points. Ed K with 175 points. So they love Ed's there. And Daniel Sprong yeah. with 30 points. Yeah. It There's is, two uh, players technically from Brazil. Oh, right. Robin Nogueira yeah. with 199 points. And Mike Greenlay with one point. Yeah. <laughs> the disparity on some of these is, yeah. is pretty interesting when you only have like two or three players from a country. And then well, then like, there's weird stuff too. Like, just like with Lithuania, how is there only one NHL player ever from Estonia who's with points from Estonia? That doesn't seem right. So I feel yeah. like this list must not be right because Estonia is a hockey country. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, and especially from you know the Soviet era, they would have had a few. Yeah. Uh, Craig Adams is, was born in Brunei. <laughs> Shout out to the Sultanate. And there are just as many players from Italy as there are Venezuela hmm. with two. So I feel like maybe this list isn't entirely accurate. Yeah. Because at least like uh, in the German speaking parts of Italy, you'd have more players. Yeah, because you know, Italy's not necessarily a hockey country, but they do play it there. And, you know, they've been in the Olympics before. So, you know, I would have thought there would be a few. You know, by this point. Also, there are more players from Nigeria mm-hmm. uh, than there are from South Africa, Tanzania, Jamaica, <laughs> Lebanon, Japan, Indonesia, Belgium, which is kind of surprising. Oh, yeah. Uzbekistan, which is kind of surprising. <laughs> Bulgaria, Croatia, and Bahamas. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's just like aspects of this list that doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, well, what's funny about it is that it makes it seem like the NHL is a lot more um, world, uh, worldly, yeah. worldly than it really is. Like, honestly, most players are from about five countries. Uh, but this list makes it seem like it's more like the NBA, where you're getting players from all around the globe. Yeah. But it's more just they have connections to a certain place. So, how many points do you think the uh, top point scorer from Belgium has in the NHL? I can't think of any Belgian players, so I'm guessing it's probably not a lot. So maybe like around 50. Three. Three. <laughs> Same for Uzbekistan and Bulgaria. Okay. I think the one from Bulgaria is probably that goalie for the Rangers now, Georgiev. Yeah. So what are so, the most points by a Nigerian-born player? Uh, maybe like 20. Five. Five. Uh, Ruman Nadra, and then the other one was Akim Alu. He was actually, um, I remember that name. I think he was yeah. actually a pretty highly touted prospect, and maybe he hasn't really panned out, but yeah, I do remember that name. Yeah, let's let's take a look at him because we know he, we know he was a highly touted prospect. Yeah, I think he did play like for Canada, like the World Juniors and stuff. He's just mainly been in the minor leagues and overseas, so. Okay. But barely played in the NHL, but it's just been everywhere else. Okay. 
Yeah, there's some players that are really, you know, they look really promising at the junior level, and then just for whatever reason, they can't make that yeah. transition to the pros. But um, the only player with points from Haiti, Claude Vilgrain, 53 points. So yeah, well, there you go. But yeah, just like an odd list that we came across, and it's just like... Yeah, now you could, you know... Um, he wasn't born in Nigeria, but if you, you if you could put Jerome McGinley on that list, because I think that's where his dad was from, yeah. then, you know... Then they'd be, be looking far, a lot better. Yeah, he'd be far and away, number one on that list, so... Like the movie Far and Away, which is a... Uh... <laughs> well, yeah, is there any players from Ireland on that list? There were not. I didn't see it. There was no. a UK, but there wasn't any from Ireland. Yeah, so unless they're kind of just... Well, I guess they should be part of the... Oh, let's, let's not touch that subject. <laughs> We may get to it eventually, but... But uh, yeah, like, um, yeah. God, Far and Away, that was a terrible movie. It was something like Tom Cruise being a boxer yeah. and Nicole Kidman briefly being naked. Uh-huh. And may, may have been where they met. And there were <laughs> terrible Irish accents. <laughs> so uh, I do remember um, we watched that movie in school. Yeah. And that was basically like our unit on immigration was our teacher put on that movie. And that was supposed to explain it to us. And did it? No. It's a very contrived version of the Irish American experience. Yeah, I think we just saw Free Willy. <laughs> that actually, that would probably explain immigration better than that. Than That's true, especially from the, uh, the standpoint of a cetacean. That's right. We never, yeah. there were no players from the cetacean nation on this list. No. So I think that invalidates it. Yeah. Um, yeah, from what I remember with, with Far and Away, it was about, um, so Tom Cruise is like this, uh, you know, back in Ireland, he's like a poor farmer or something. Yeah. And then Nicole Kidman comes from like a, like an aristocratic family there. Yeah. And then um, they both like meet up again when they come to America. Yeah. Like he's coming there with nothing and that's why he becomes like a bare knuckle boxer. Yeah. And she comes there with like a little bit of money and then like is like, you know, kind of shocked when like, you know. She gets treated like all the other immigrants. Yeah, there and stuff. it's like Fievel goes west. Yeah, basically. So, <laughs> so they, you know they, they wind up together, and then they like they at the end of it they go to Oklahoma like for the big like land grab and all yeah. that shit. So spoiler alert, um, they wind up in Oklahoma. So they're oh. so it's not a happy ending. So they so they just went from Ireland to steal indigenous land. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, from the very people that probably like sent the money during the famine. You know, there yeah. was that that I think it was the Choctaw Nation. Yeah. Like pretty famously, like they actually they pulled together whatever resources they had and tried to help the Irish during the famine. Yeah. Just because Well and there was stuff too, like there was like a unit in the Mexican army during the battle for uh the the war for Texas. Oh yeah, yeah. Where like they had Irish people that sided with um with Mexico. With Mexico because they were Catholic and they yeah. felt they were being uh they right. would be oppressed by, by the by the other whites. Yeah. Which, to be fair, they probably weren't wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, like during the Civil War, you know, there was like protests, like the Irish burning draft cards in New York and stuff. Yeah. Because they didn't want to fight. Yeah. To end slavery because they worried about losing their jobs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. and the Dollop has quite a few good episodes about. Um, Yes. Kind of like Irish... Um, I think they had an episode about that. But terrorism yeah. or insurgency or whatever yeah, you like want to call it. The, uh, Molly Maguire? Molly Maguire's. Something like that? And then the Finians. Yeah, the Finians. The Finians are hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, speaking of the Irish, uh, so a while back I did one of those uh, ancestry DNA yeah. tests, and ever since then they've continued to. They say that they're like, uh, you know, they're working on their algorithm, whatever yeah. they use, like their their samples and uh, whatever. And um, yeah, they keep sending me these revised results, mm-hmm. like every few months, and yeah. then every time I go and check them, they've changed how Irish I am, and it's getting really annoying. Are you becoming more Irish? I, it keeps going back and forth, but I think they, like, the first time they, like, bumped me up a lot. Yeah. Like, from, like, a pretty negligible amount to, like, 30%. To, like, a potato. Yeah. Like, to literally, like, my like my skin getting whiter. Yeah. Um, and then, they, like, the last time I checked, it's gone down, like, into the 20s. So, it's, like... Oh, well, that's got to feel better. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I'm, like, on pins and needles every time I check it, like... You know, what are they going to do to me this time? Yeah, are they going to make me Irish or not? Yeah. Make up your mind. Yeah. It's like they can't slip that by me. That's like the first thing I saw when they oh, yeah. the, the, the revised results. I'm like, where did that come from? Well, the one that pissed me off is at like one point, like, because I haven't been tested, but my brother has. Uh-huh. At one point, all of a sudden we had like 1.4% from the UK. Yeah. And it's just like, what the what the hell is this bull? <laughs> Like, the best I can come up with is, like, you know, like, maybe it's, like, back, it's, like, some sort of backflow from, like, Vikings bringing, bringing back people yeah, from bride. the UK. Yeah. Like, a war bride. And, like, right. I already know about other war brides in my family. Yeah. Well, when you have Scandinavian heritage, it's Yeah, it's like, part there was, like, a family story of during the Hundred Years' War, I think in the 1400s, somewhere, 1400s, somewhere I think around? so, yeah. Somewhere around that, I can't remember off the top of my head, mm-hmm. um, that one of my ancestors, my mom's side of the family in Sweden, brought back a French war bride. Yeah, I think that might have happened in my case as well. And there's, there's some like neg- negative like, French DNA. So at least if like our stories, the DNA yeah. matches what we've heard. Yeah. But at the same time, all these kind of like, like how you're, how, like how European or how Irish are you? Are you a potato? All these things. It's like statistical analysis mm. and it changes those data sets and as they look for different markers. And so it's like hard to really correlate these things with populations because there's so much diversity within different countries and things. Yeah. So it's sort of like it, like for, for us it matches, but you still kind of have to take it with like, you know, like, like maybe the broad strokes are right, but I wouldn't like, use this as a, a supplement for family no, history no and it doesn't match up with the stuff that i found within my family tree when i was on there initially so it's like well, i think you've got a it's really more confusing. interesting story than we do uh, or at least more maybe interesting origin on which side <laughs> or both the italian side the italian side yeah that that there's no doubt about that's yeah in both the family tree and then um, in the dna that that holds up so well did you ever figure it out if you're secretly albanian oh that part yeah so i had for a long time i had a, a sneaking suspicion that there was an albanian branch in my family tree <laughs> just because the the part of italy that um my grandmother came from uh calabria which is down yeah. on the, the toe basically of the of the boot um there's a long history there of uh, Albanian settlement. Yeah. Like there's still like a group of like, they're still sort of like lives. They live separately almost or have like yeah. their own unique uh, culture. And they're descended like from Albanian mercenaries that were brought over yeah. like 500 years ago to like fight the kingdom of Naples or some shit. And they're still there. 
And so somehow I got it in my head. It's like, I have to be descended from these people because it's the only way I can explain my family. Yes, that there has to be an Albanian in the mix. And that was part of the reason why I got on there in the first place was to look for evidence of it. Yeah, it's like, um, am I a Belushi? Yeah, I, I had to know if I was a Belushi. <laughs> so so I, I went on there, but I, I didn't find any evidence in the tree and, and apparently the, and none in the DNA. Either. Yeah. So I, well, yeah, think like I'm about, I, I can pretty much safely rule that out. Now. Like I had fear, like, like when my brother did a DNA test, like are we going to find out that we're Laplanders? Or, is, yeah. or, or I guess the correct term now is Sami. Yeah, I don't know. Is it? I don't. Does it uh, show that? Is it a distinct group? Or is it I believe so. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, they're kind of a genetically distinct okay. group. Yeah. There's definitely been intermixing over the years, but yeah, it's a distinct group that would have markers. The one the interesting thing I did see the first time around with the DNA test and. Since then, it hasn't shown up in the subsequent revisions. Mm-hmm. But the first one I got, it said that I was 2% uh, Caucasian, as in like from the Caucasus. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where exactly in the Caucasus, but I just decided it was Georgia. Yeah. The country. I, I just, you just own it. Yeah. I just thought it, like that was my first impulse when I saw it. And I just went with that, at least until they, they changed my results. Yeah. And so that was like, is 2% enough that like if Russia invades again like do I have to go back to the homeland? You might be. I think them? I think basically you have enough you have enough um former Soviet DNA in you that um pretty much Putin can claim you through irredentism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you knew about it like I'm screwed. Yeah. So maybe it's a good thing that that kind of disappeared from my results, so I'm off the hook now. Maybe there was some. Maybe there were some um, alterations going on. Yeah, Putin is good at making things. There were disappear. some irregularities, <laughs> like the Eurovision voting. Yeah. Um, so speaking of that, I have a movie recommendation. Okay. Uh, I think I found a little while back. It's called. I think it's called Five Days of War. Okay. It's like this really shitty. Like it was probably like a direct-to-video thing. Yeah. But it was made about that that war between Russia and, and Georgia back in two thousand eight. I think. It yeah. Was. I guess it was only five days. It yeah. was a pretty brief thing where they pretty much just overwhelmed uh, Georgia and took back some territory or whatever. Uh, but they made this really lame movie about it. Yeah. Um, which uh, had Val Kilmer in it. Oh, Val Kilmer. He's probably the only like real name recognition person who was in it. I can't remember who else. Yeah. Um, but he played like this grizzled war correspondent with an eye patch. Yeah. And he was pretty, pretty much the best part about that movie. So... Are there, are there any other actors where they've gone from being like a teen heartthrob to just playing like these grizzled characters or Mark Twain? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, I think there there has been some. Like Marlon Brando was a uh, transformation. Kind of was. But I guess that you wouldn't have called him grizzled at the end. Yeah, I guess maybe, could you say like Mark Wahlberg kind of was like that? I guess Going so. From, like New Kids on the Block to being like a movie star and all that. Well, he went from a ra- from a racist to from New Kids on the Block. From a racist to being a New Kids on the Block. To being a hamburger baron, to back to being a, a racist. Yeah, so he has a pretty complex uh, origin story there. But I think yeah. there's, there's been a few, I think, that started out as like, you know, like, uh, yeah, like teenage heartthrobs, and then they became more like seasoned actors. Yeah. Maybe like Leonardo DiCaprio, kind of like that. I guess so. I think there's been some. The only, the only, so he, here's a weird tidbit about me. The only movie I've ever seen with Leonardo DiCaprio is What's Eating Gilbert Grape. <laughs> and I kind of want to keep it that way. I'm sure he's made some great movies. 
But I don't need to see the Wolf of Wall Street. I don't need to see the beach. Uh-huh. I don't need to see Titanic. I I just need what's taking over Grape. You can stop there, honestly. Like, I'm sure he's done great things since then. Yeah. I don't need to see The Revenant. <laughs> I just need to see what's he can go up a grape. I did see The Revenant because that's based on Hugh Glass, yes. which is one of the best early episodes of The Dollars yes. that we've mentioned before. Um, and I've seen a few other of his movies, like Inception and stuff. But uh, but yeah, you clearly you don't need to see all of them. No. Um, some of them are pretty throwaway. And Fair enough. Really only we think about them or know about them because he was in them. Uh, the beach would be kind of an example yeah. of that, I think. So, um, but yeah, so on the one hand, I'm, I'm very interested in stuff like the DNA and the family history and learning more about my mm-hmm. origins and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time now, I'm sort of like, I don't want to learn anymore because I'm afraid of what I might find. Yeah. Well, one of the things I was thinking about when you said like your family is from uh, the, uh, the, the, toe, the toe of the boot right. of Italy. Yeah. Is there, is there someone... Like, are there Italian to f- foot fetishes, but oh, then are also, like, ultra-nationalist, <laughs> so they suck on the toes of Italy <laughs> <laughs> and have, cl- have like, the equivalent of Calabria or maybe, like, a, I don't know, <laughs> maybe maybe it's, a cho- maybe it's a chocolate cut out of Italy. Maybe it's made out of blue yeah, material, you know, you but know, they're just sucking on what would be the equivalent of the toes. So, yeah, because Italy famously is a, kind of like a boot-shaped peninsula. Yeah. And... So, yeah, that could lead to all kinds of fetishes because then you also have Sicily, which is right off the coast. Are so they the soccer ball? Yeah, so, like, Sicily is getting kicked by the rest of Italy. So maybe there's, like, a getting kicked on the balls fetish based yeah. on that if you're Sicilian. Or, like... Uh, yeah, I can see that. There's the region, I think it's Apulia, which is the heel. Mm-hmm. But it kind of looks like a stiletto or, like, part of, like, a boot heel. Yep. So it's, like, the fetish of getting stepped on by Apulia. Yeah, so there, there's, all sorts of, there's all sorts of kink going on in Italy. Oh, for sure. Both, both real and imagined. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, I'll get into our, uh, our little story for today. Okay. Um, and uh, I think when we were going through that list of the uh, NHL players uh, by country and you know, the top scorers. Yeah. Um, I think Uzbekistan was somewhere on that list. Right? Uzbekistan. Yeah. Uzbekistan. <laughs> but there were some players from there at some point. I remember um, SCTV had uh, a recurring sketch about Uzbeks. Oh, they did? Yeah. Uh, what, what was that about? I don't remember. Uh, it was just Uzbeks in modern Canada. <laughs> and they were not trusted. Uzbeks. Oh, is it like a large, maybe like an immigrant group of them there? Maybe, or, yeah. Or something? Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember that skit, but... Uh, I just know there's a lot of Ukrainians in Western Canada. Yeah, that I knew about, right? Um, and uh, there's like the big like Ukrainian Orthodox churches, like in Edmonton and yeah. stuff. Well, something has to be in Edmonton. It was either <laughs> that or murders. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, I guess there's so, room for both. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, Uzbekistan is actually where we're going to go today. Okay. Uh, so the last time out, we were a little bit closer to home. Uh, in the Mojave Desert, and there was a you know, connection to... Uh, oh, yeah, the phone booth. Yeah, the phone booth. Uh, and there was a connection to Phoenix here. So, uh, But we're going pretty far from home this time. Um, so I'll just give a little bit of background on Uzbekistan because, you know, it's not a place that you hear about a whole lot. No. Um, 
Unless you're like us and you just kind of... And you love learning about, like, dictators yeah. and breakaway republics and things. Yeah, and if that's kind of your thing, then you probably are familiar with this already. But Yeah. But in case, uh, in case you're not, um, Uzbekistan is a country in Central Asia, uh, which has a long history uh, as both a cultural and geographical crossroads between East and West. So like the Silk Road would have gone through there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, and it's also along with Liechtenstein, one of only two double landlocked countries oh, yeah. in the world. So that means that it's a landlocked country that's surrounded by, on all sides, by other landlocked countries. Yeah. Yeah, so... So you have to go through, through two countries to get to the ocean. Yeah, so it's pretty much like smack dab in the middle of... of so in terms of Asia. trade, you're screwed, but they were also the... Se- also, the Silk Road went through there. So at that point, they were like a hub of trade. Yeah. Now, probably not that much. Right. So yeah, it was it was important because you had to cross through there to get between Asia and Europe, but then kind of hard on them at the same time because, yeah, you're cut off from the ocean. Yeah. Uh, so at different points in their history, um, Uzbekistan was part of a number of different empires, um, including uh, the Persian Empire, okay. the Greeks, uh, the mm-hmm. Mongols. Yeah, uh, the Mughals, which was a big empire uh, yeah. based out of India, um, and then later the Russian Empire, which then became the Soviet Union. Yeah, um, and then I think it's one of those populations too, where you have some people who have more Western f- features, some people who have more Asian features, yeah. kind of, and then some people are. I don't want to say in between because that sounds really callous. Yeah. But some people who maybe dispossess both Western and Asian features naturally. Yeah, kind of like if the Uyghurs, for example. Yeah. The people that China's trying to get rid of. Oh, yeah, the Turkic people. Yeah, so the Uzbeks are also a Turkic people, I think, probably related. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, yeah. we should do an episode on pan-Turkism sometime. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that would be pretty funny. Um, so, uh, yeah, there is, uh, it was like a lot of Russian settlement and probably some resettlement during mm-hmm. the Soviet era. So, yeah, it is kind of like a mixed uh, group of people. Yeah. Um, and like you were saying, uh, cities like Samarkand were uh, important yeah. stops on the Silk Road. Well, then that's also making you think, too, just like Uzbekistan. Then there's that region in western China where yeah. you had the Tokyan people who were possessed kind of like Celtic or European features, but then they were mm-hmm. in western China and they're just... Yeah. Kind of just an interesting part of the world. Lots of different cultures, lots of different yeah. ethnic groups and things have all kind of have been there for a long time. Yeah, these different kind of outlying groups that were just kind of settled there. Yeah. Um, so they gained independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. Okay. And, uh, like many of the former Soviet republics, they've had a bit of a bumpy road making the transition yeah. from communism to capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't helped by the fact uh, that their first president, uh, Islam Karimov, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, took over after independence and ruled until his death in 2016, um, during his rule, uh, Uzbekistan was labeled by human rights organizations as a, quote, authoritarian state with limited civil rights. Oh. Yeah, so, um, which is pretty common in a lot of those former it Soviet is. republics, or was. Because, um, like, I think Kazakhstan's that way. Yeah. We know about Turkmenistan. And then there's been some issues in Tajikistan. Yeah. So um, it wasn't a smooth transition in a lot of those countries. Um, yeah. Into in independence and a new market system and all that. Uh, so there were heavy restrictions on personal freedoms, like freedom of speech and assembly. 
uh, freedom of the press especially. Yeah. Uh, so journalists and members of opposition parties were often targeted by the government and oppressed, um, often thrown in jail. Uh, you know, so pretty, pretty typical yeah. authoritarian kind of stuff. Uh, so Uzbekistan's economy is heavily reliant on natural resources uh, like minerals and natural gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also one of the world's leading exporters of cotton. Um, and so, of course, in many places, cotton used to be harvested oh, using God. slave labor. Um, and in most of the world, that's been outlawed for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but it hasn't quite ended in Uzbekistan yet. Oh, God. I think I know where you're going, but we'll see. Yeah. So uh, in 2014, uh, the country had the highest, the second highest rate of modern slavery in the world uh, behind India. Yeah. Um, with as much as 4% of the population being used as forced labor, which could be as much as a million oh. people. Uh, and many of them were children, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's kind of a mixture of slave labor and child labor kind of, you know, combined. Um, Working together. Yeah. Obviously, probably children are easier to enslave. So um, so I think a lot of times there, like, you know, like we, the reason, like, we have, where we had summers in school was it goes back to the days when, like, the, the children were needed back on the farm, like, for the harvest and all that. Yeah. So they still kind of do that in Uzbekistan where, like, in the summer the kids have to go and pick cotton except for they don't really get a choice in that uh, yeah. decision. Um, so in, 2000, in 2005, um, people in the city of Andijan uh, were fed up with the authoritarian, I can't say that word today, authoritarian rule in the country. And a group yeah. of about 10,000 protesters demonstrated in the city center. Uh, things got pretty out of hand, and the government forces there to control the crowd just started firing yep. on it instead. So I guess that's one way to kind of disperse it. Hey, it's, a lot of countries have done that. Yeah, it's just to start shooting. <laughs> We're certainly not in one of those. Oh, we never do that. <laughs> so uh, the official death toll was reported at 187. That's the official one from the government. Yeah. Uh, but unofficial reports put it as high as 1,500. So I think I would take the over on that one. I'd probably say yeah. Yeah. Um, so the Uzbek government, which is officially secular, uh, tried to blame the unrest on Islamic radicals. Oh. Yeah. And I, I've never heard that being used before either. No. Um, but then didn't you say their first president who was, his name was in there for like, tw- was, is it, was it Islam? Yeah, so Islam was blaming Islam for it. I, okay, that's very meta. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, but only the radical ones. Um, and somehow they were responsible for the government shooting a bunch yeah. of people. Yeah. By the way, I also love the rage of the word radical. Mm-hmm. Either you're like a surfer or a skateboarder from California in the 80s, in yeah. the early 90s, mm-hmm. or you're like a Islamic uh, cleric or a mom mm-hmm. <laughs> who's um, may or not be involved with IS or some other yeah. some other um, <laughs> organization. <laughs> So it's either the best thing you can be or the worst thing you can be, depending. Or on maybe you. you're just really mad at like um, I don't know. You're really mad at Hungry Jacks. Yeah. You've declared a fat one, Hungry Jacks. <laughs> yeah. So, it doesn't all have to be religious extremism. Yeah. So one man's radical is another man's hero, kind of. Yeah. Um, so the massacre in Andijan damaged relations between Uzbekistan and the United States, yeah. uh, which had been using air bases in the country as part of the uh, ongoing operations in Afghanistan, yeah. which was a neighbor of Uzbekistan. One of the- I'm also trying to remember if there was like some remnants from the Soviet of um, launch sites for 
Um, for space in Uzbekistan? But it the, might have been, yeah. It's but, I don't know. Using. I don't know. It is sad. It's like sometimes it's kind of hard. Like Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan. It can be a little hard to differentiate the, the three places. Yeah. Now we're next to each other and everything. So They're not the same, but just similar enough names that you can kind of blur things. Yeah. Um, and so that kind of forced them, or they felt that yeah. they needed to then seek out improved relations with Russia and China. Uh, both of which were uh, fully behind the Uzbek government in their handling of the uh, the protests and yeah. So kind we of were a little bit off put by the you know killing people in the God. streets. Did they hire Brian Adams to try to smooth over relationships? <laughs> <laughs> He's the only one who could really do it. I think. So he was a fun one, like where he went from like the uh, like pop star to then like making very racist rants about. COVID. Oh, uh, yeah. He was like the Chinese virus and all that kind of shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because he lost his tour. <laughs> okay. So that was the reason behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he had just toured with Great White, then... He would have been fine. would have been fine. <laughs> Wouldn't have to cancel anything. Just yeah. play in North Dakota. Um, so following Karamov's death in 2016, he was succeeded by his prime minister, Shavkat Mirziyoyev. Okay. Um, I could say his name, but I couldn't say authoritarianism. Yeah, that's, so, how, it, that's how it goes. Yeah. Um, well, which one's more important? Yeah, that's true. This is the non-authoritarian guy, or at least the one who was trying not to be. Yeah. Uh, because he began a number of reforms to improve the country's human rights record. Uh, and so described his reforms as, quote, a quiet revolution and also as a revolution from above. Ooh. Which, that actually sounds pretty terrifying to me, yeah. to be honest. Because like a quiet revolution sounds like a co-op taking over a country. Yeah, that sounds like some kind of like psyops thing. Like gentle strength is gonna take over is gonna yeah. take over Uzbekistan. Yeah. Now revolution but, from well, above. The, the reformation for above. Yeah, revolution. That scares me because yeah, that's also would be a really good band name. But I guess be. it's making me think of like death from above, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, <laughs> revolution from above, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen sixty eight or something. Yeah. That just sounds like your country's about to get carpeted. Revolution from above, nineteen fifty six. Yeah. That's what it sounded like to me, too. Yeah. Um, so he pledged to abolish slavery and child labor in the country. And that's pretty amazing when you're a president in the year 2016 and you're pledging to abolish slavery. And this is your platform and people will vote against you. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. It's like a bold thing. It's a revolution. The, yeah. The idea that you shouldn't enslave people. Um, yeah. So he's like their Lincoln. Yeah. Um, and so he also, and I believe he was successful in doing this to abolish exit visas, um, yeah. if you're familiar with those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a holdover from the Soviet era, uh, but they still exist in a lot of countries. Uh, so that's like what they use in Qatar mm-hmm. and the UAE uh, as part of their guest worker programs. So yeah. basically use those people as, you know, virtual slave labor. Is, yeah. And then they have like yeah. no, they have like no rights or anything. Yeah. So for a long time, people in Uzbekistan needed to get an exit visa to leave the country, but of course it was very hard to get one. So it basically was a way to keep people there, yeah, against their will. They were trying to they were trying to stop their brain drain. Right. They didn't want to be the next India, or India or Brazil. Yeah. So maybe that's why we didn't see as many NHL players on that list is because they couldn't get out. Yeah. So maybe the the you know the greatest star from Uzbekistan just never made it to the could never NHL. could never shine as brightly as they deserved no you couldn't get the exit visa so uh but that's been abolished as far as i know uh, yeah now the slavery thing they're still working on okay but i think they've made some improvements because 
according to the UN and Amnesty International, they uh, they gave them a higher rating. I think after this new president took over, okay, uh, said that there was they were showing progress, but they still have some work to do. Um, for example, uh, male homosexuality remains illegal in Uzbekistan. Yeah. Uh, not female though. So, ladies, you're cool. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, they'd be a hypocrite because they consume so much of it. <laughs> right. Yeah, they only outlaw the kind that they don't want to see. That is a weird thing where that that is somehow more accepted. Yeah. Or it's more accepted because I guess if you're that dictator, you think it's hot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's more accepted just because the people in power, you know, are yeah. more accepting of it. It's um, not great. Yeah, but even though, uh, you know, female homosexuality isn't illegal... There were allegations of forced sterilization of women in rural areas, so okay. ladies didn't get away completely scot-free. But then again, it's interesting to see like how many countries, until relatively recently, like within a lifetime, were doing forced sterilization. Yeah, because that happened in the Soviet Union and stuff, right? And like yeah. Sweden, America, yeah. I think Canada. Right, like eugenics programs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, those That was going are... strong into the 70s and yeah. beyond. Yeah, those things are they're not that far behind us, and in... In some cases, maybe not even yeah. behind us yet. So, um, uh, so in 1992, uh, the Uzbek government entered into an agreement with the South Korean automaker Daewoo okay. uh, to build cars in the country under the brand name Uz Daewoo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so they were Daewoo's, but they were built in Uzbekistan, so they were called Uz Daewoo's. Ooh. You know. I kind of want a Uz Daewoo. Yeah. Well, I think you could probably get one. Like it's an electric one? Uh, no, I, unless somebody converted it somehow. I, okay. I don't think they made it to the electric era. Okay. Um, but uh, production began in 1996 uh, at a newly built assembly plant, plant in uh, the city of Osaka. Mm-hmm. Um, not Osaka, but Osaka. Yeah. Um, and Uzdewu vehicles became an important export to other former Soviet nations. So a lot of them were built in yeah. Uzbekistan, but then exported to... Well, that's like this interesting thing, countries. too. Like There's like this market for like all these cars that kind of like like you had like weird things like the um Volkswagen Beetle was still being produced in Mexico until like 2003 oh yeah, yeah. and we're not talking about the new Beetle we're talking about like the original one. Oh yeah like there's just like these certain cars that because it's still sold in other places still were, were being sold mm-hmm. and maybe develop developing or not even fairly developed countries yeah they're just like like in Latin America and stuff there's still a market for them. So. Yeah, like I guess it was like they were like cheap and dependable and people could repair them. And Yeah, I think that was probably a lot to do with it is because they have a long history, you know, people can find a place. I kind of want like a 2003 original <laughs> Beetle. Yeah. yeah, if you could find one, that would be a pretty amazing yeah. car to have in a collection for sure. Um, it almost, that sounds like a Top Gear thing, like they would have done like a, a road oh, yeah. trip in those. Um, so Daewoo ran into some serious financial trouble in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can probably remember, like, they, they sold them here, too. I remember seeing them around this. The, yeah, they were the Daewoo cars. The Daewoo cars in the 90s. And I think they were also kind of like one of the uh, South Korean mega corporations where... Yeah, they were. But they did everything from, like, cars right. to... Um, like appliances. And appliances, like, big ship, big kind of, like, shipping, shipping. boats and, yeah. like, rifles. yeah. Yeah, so they did all that kind of stuff, uh, but they got a bit, uh, I guess, a little bit over their heads with that, and uh, they filed for bankruptcy uh, in 1999, 
Um, their automotive division was acquired by General Motors in 2001. Okay. Uh, so the Osaka plant in Uzbekistan continued to manufacture vehicles under the Uzdewu name until 2015. So they weren't all that affected by it um, initially. Yeah. Uh, but this joint venture between the Uzbek government and what used to be Daewoo uh, was officially renamed GM Uzbekistan in 2008. Oh, no. Yeah. And so this is when the first Chevrolets began rolling off the assembly line. Okay. So. Okay, you're going in a different direction than I was expecting you to. Did you have something else in mind? I thought this was going to be about dragging the ROC. Oh, I have heard about that. If you want to get into that later, we can, or maybe in a, in a future one, because that one, the, the, I, the, yeah. that one I bought me might want to do a little more research on. Okay. But that's where I thought you were okay. going at first, yeah. no, and then you started about talking that. about slavery, and I was like, huh. right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, we can maybe uh, circle back to that at some point because that would be pretty cool too. Uh, so by 2011, Chevrolet had established a virtual monopoly in Uzbekistan, <laughs> with 94 percent of new cars being sold. Uh, our new cars sold were Chevys. Now, are they Chevys or are they Uz Chevys? They're just Chevys now at this point. So they before it was the Uz Dewus. Yeah. Uh, and now these are Chevys. I'm and just impressed that like Sh- Chevy is like the dominant car brand in any country. Yeah. Um, and so this re- this represented the largest market share that GM had anywhere in the world. Yeah. Uh, now, I do think, actually, now that, now that I think of it, um, there was some kind of, like, an off-brand that they manufactured, like, called, like, Raybon or Raison or something. And yeah. just rebadged Chevys. So they did have those as well. Well, yeah, because then there's a thing, too, in, like, uh, China, where you'll get, like, a Volkswagen. Yeah. But then there's this distinction of a Volkswagen built overseas, and then a Volkswagen built in a par- partnership with a local producer. Uh-huh. And then, like, the local ones are much cheaper. Yeah. But are like scary as hell, right? <laughs> so there's a there's a question about build quality. So I'm thinking that this is going to be sub Chevy build quality as we're accustomed to, which is not exactly a hard, which <laughs> maybe to my biased mind is not a uh, high a high bar. No, I can tell you as an owner of two Chevys and a couple other GM vehicles that yeah yeah I don't trust ones that are made in in the U.S. or Canada. Yeah. And I sure as hell don't think I trust one that was made in Uzbekistan. Well, maybe I trust it more. Or maybe more. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I guess we'll find out if we should trust it. Yeah. I guess the jury's still kind of out on that. But uh, so either way, people in Uzbekistan didn't have much of a choice due to this monopoly, uh, which was created in part due to the actions of the Uzbek government, uh, who owned a majority stake in GM Uzbekistan. <laughs> and imposed high import tariffs on any cars manufactured outside the country, including used cars. Oh, wow. So they basically created the monopoly by, you know, making it, you know... So they can't even get, like, the used Corollas like Iran. Right. So people obviously, you know, most people in Uzbekistan cannot afford a new car, even one that was produced there. Uh, So they would try to buy used cars in neighboring countries and bring them back. Yeah. They weren't able to do that because they would be hit with high fees trying to bring it back across the border. Yeah. And so uh, prices skyrocketed due to this limited supply uh, because GM Uzbekistan produces about 250,000 vehicles a year, Mm -hmm. but only half of them are sold domestically. And Uzbekistan's population is about 30 million. So that doesn't seem like nearly enough. Yeah. Even if you have a more rural population, it doesn't need as many cars. And where are they sending these other ones? Mostly exporting them to neighboring countries and to Russia. Yeah, so um, 
wait times to buy a new car stretched to over a year and required a deposit of up to 85% of the sticker price. To be fair, the people who grew up, grew up in the Soviet Union, that's got to seem amazing to them. That's true. Because like, they're used to having to be like, at a list for like 10 years. Yeah, just to get a lot of... Yeah. Which we represent probably the other 6% of cars that are on the road. Yes. Um, you may have, a lot of it might be more reliable. Potentially, yeah. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> I, sh- I shouldn't be underselling, you know, ooh, Chevy. Yeah. Well, the thing is that they would probably be, you know, they most of them wouldn't be more than like 10 years old at this yeah. point. So it's kind of hard to tell. Like, you can't really get a sense of like the long-term reliability. Yeah. Because most of them are more recent. Yeah. Than like the old Lottas that might be hanging around. So, um, so the, those who could uh, resorted to paying a bribe, which in Uzbek they called a shapka, mm-hmm. which means hat. So maybe that maybe it's like we go yeah. back to the old silk road. Yeah. Days, that, well, that's like, that's how like that's how like the Lotta stuff worked too. It's like, yeah. you know, certain people will get them granted sooner. Yeah. But other people would just bribe their way up. Yeah. So that's what people would do uh, to get you know further up the waiting list or to even just bypass it completely is they would just pay a bribe to get kind okay. of jump the line. But it just meant that they had to pay even more for the car. Yeah. You know, pay like over the sticker price. Um, but several times a year, local dealers would get a small amount of new stock in. And this led to mass rushes of people who would literally fight to get on the lot to be able to buy these cars. Okay. So this is like, this is like their Black Friday. Yeah. So a few times a year, they'd have like a Black Friday kind of event where car dealers there would actually have some cars to sell yeah and yeah and this would be you don't have to pay a bribe you don't have to wait a year like you can just drive this home and so you know tons of people would show up and there would be like chaos like yeah people fighting for a chevy yeah fighting for like a cobalt or something yeah because most of the vehicles that they manufacture there you know some are you know exactly like what we would have here like cobalts and yeah and stuff like that yeah like what, what what were the Models developed by or that they produced. So a lot of them were just the same ones that we had here, like the smaller ones. Yeah, there was a few I think that they produced that were like ones that they made for like the Asian market and stuff, like that were rebadged Daewoo's or like um, maybe originally were Daewoo's and then they were redesigned and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think they get some of like the larger vehicles that we have, like full size pickups and SUVs. I don't think they get like Camaros or Corvettes. Yeah. So it's mostly just compact cars and sedans. It looks like there was a Tahoe. Okay. Well, that's pretty big. Um, yeah, they did get a few SUVs, like the maybe like the Equinox one or a Trailblazer or something like that. The small to mid-sized Yeah, ones. okay. Uh, so President Mirziyoyev uh, sought to end this monopoly by buying out GM's share in the plant in uh, 2018 and then turning over complete control to the government. But under a special arrangement with GM, it continues to produce mainly Chevy branded vehicles. Okay. So still mostly Chevy's coming out of that plant there. They're, they're trying to maybe reduce the amount, but it's still yeah. overwhelmingly uh, Chevy's on the road there. <laughs> and of course, to afford these you know, way overpriced Chevy's, a lot of Uzbeks have basically turned themselves into Uber drivers. Yeah. And they use these their personal cars as taxis. <laughs> yeah. So you have... A lot of taxis on the road there, but it's basically just like a whole country of Uber drivers because that's the only way they're able to afford these. And then the cars are just disproportionately expensive. and Yeah. But you're probably, gas is probably cheap. Yeah, I do think they have some gas reserves there. So that might be one of the silver linings is that they don't, at least they don't have to pay a lot for gas. God. 
Yeah, for their uh, <laughs> their Chevy Spark. Oh man, and just like ninety four percent of the cars being Chevrolet. Yeah, that's like that's that's a dystopia right there. It's yeah, like if you woke up one day and you saw that on the road here, you'd think you're in some kind of, like you're in the twilight zone. I know, I'd be like, what? And like, there's plenty of them on the road here, obviously, but the ninety four percent would be insane. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is a country that is, like, modernizing and, you know, urban areas growing and stuff. So there is more of a need for cars. There's yeah. more cars on the road. Um, but that would still be, you know, really strange for us to see. So do we know if these, these Chevys were built by slave labor? I'm, I'm guessing they're probably not just because the factory would be too, like, easy of a target probably for... So too high profile. Yeah, too high Maybe profile. components or other things. Yeah, I'm sure there's maybe some slave labor involved in the supply chain. Uh, to build these cars there yeah um maybe like in the rubber to for the tires and stuff but yeah uh, i think the plan itself is probably not slave labor necessarily and i do love that someone was able to run on just like anti-slavery mm-hmm. and child labor i don't think he even had to run either i think he just sort of inherited the post yeah Regardless, just, just that just that, that was the that, plat- that was the platform his, in 2016 his revolutionary platform was to abolish slavery <laughs> To be fair, that could have been the platform of 2020 or 2024 here. It doesn't sound that different now in retrospect, does it? Yeah. Like, yeah. We're facing some of the same problems. You know, press freedom and repression of opposition parties. and Yeah. That kind of stuff that sounded like a world away in the past. Um, so I, I came across this be- uh, through Instagram. Yeah. Really? Of all places. Uh but I guess, actually, Instagram is a pretty good place to document human rights violations. It is. Uh, but, you know, one day I was on there, uh, and because I've only just, like, recently kind of gotten back on there, because yeah. I think I downloaded originally, like, when everybody first started getting on there. Yeah. And I hadn't really used it, and so I just forgot about it for a long time. Uh, and then I just, I just brought it back, because I'm sort of like, well, eventually, if I need to just bail on Facebook completely, then yeah. I can go over here. It's like it's still owned by Facebook, but it feels more benign. Yeah, right. Because um, I'm sort of like I'm at a point now where I've sort of like set like a like a maximum amount of, of social media platforms that I'm gonna be on. Yeah. And if I'm gonna get anything new, then I have to get rid of one of the existing ones. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like I want to like keep adding to it. Yeah. So it's like I'll draw the line with Instagram, and if if Facebook goes, then I have that. So. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so that you know, there's that. Um, that other tab on there, like, is it like the explore tab or something yeah. where it's just like, just the algorithm, just like yeah. a bunch of random shit at you that it thinks that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. So I thought that I was interested in cars from Uzbekistan. Yeah. And so I found this account. And of course I've now found that there's a bunch of them of people there that just post pictures of cars yeah. from there. Uh, and I noticed that every single picture was a Chevy. Yeah. So I'm like, what is going on here? This can't be a coincidence. Yeah. And so I looked in a little bit and found out, oh, that's why, because they created a virtual monopoly there. Oh, God. Like, a few weeks ago, we found this uh, YouTube channel of this Georgian guy who reviews cars. hmm But then there's, like, Chinese cars and probably things like the Uzbek Chevys. Yeah. Just things that we don't have. Did he review a Yugo once? Because I think I saw that. If it's the same it guy. Might have been. Because he did, like, a road test, but it was with a Yugo. Yeah, but then, but then he mainly seems to do, like, new cars. Okay, maybe not. I can't remember the, the channel right now, mm-hmm. but I just remember coming across that. Yeah. So you know where he gets the cars from? 
Um, you just buy him himself, or does he have to go places? No, I don't think. I think he's like a media guy. Oh, so he's just like. But yeah. I th- he but he's like a DJ and a car and a car reviewer. <laughs> okay. So I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's shaggy money, or maybe it's just that he's got just some con- enough connections to be able to review cars. Like he's getting review models like from the manufacturers, maybe, or he's yeah. connected enough to get them. From and they seem to mostly be like Chinese cars. But that's kind of the interesting thing too right now. So you've got this thing going on of China where um, they're kind of rapidly they're rapidly modernizing their car production. Mm-hmm. They're doing a lot of it by basically stealing intellectual properties from uh, from other countries. But right. but now they're kind of getting to the point where they're starting to make their own designs and things, and the okay. quality of the cars are improving quite a bit. Right. You know, they're probably, I would assume they're probably not the same quality as like a European or Asian or American car. But it's getting closer. But they're getting closer and the fit and finish looks pretty good and things. Okay. But then it may just look like a knockoff at Jeep Liberty or something. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, like a lot of those, those phone brands. Yeah. Like they run Android, but they're just like knockoffs of Samsung and stuff like that. Yeah, but then like they're starting to become more like legitimate in their own things, and it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to see that process go. You know, obviously, not great that they're ripping off what other people worked on. Well, you got to start somewhere. But then I guess you start somewhere, and it's like they're kind of quickly kind of doing their own things. It's interesting to see how this develops, and yeah. Also, there's this big part of the world now where a lot of traditional car brands are probably going to get. Phased out or... Phased out or beat out by... Yeah. China and ideally Uzbek uh, Chevy. Yeah. See some Uzdewus on the road here. Yeah. So maybe that's how this guy was able to get some of those cars to review is they're maybe going to try and test the waters to try and market them here. Although I doubt we're going to allow a lot of those cars to be sold here, but... I mean, I think... To protect our own auto industry, but... I think, we, I think we may get some Chinese brands over the next few years. Like, I mean, you technically have things where, like, Volvo is owned by Geely or something. Yeah. But then they're, but then they're kind of still, still have like offices in Sweden and things. And it's like, yeah, it's just like, that's where the money's coming from. It's, it's right. It's hard now. Cause it's like, you know, with how investment things work, you know, like what country really produces or owns a brand. Yeah. Every car is kind of a world car because it's a lot of different, in some cases, different manufacturers went into producing it. Yeah. Parts came from all different places and stuff. You know, the final product might be assembled in one place, but yeah, you know, the source of it is from all over. So yeah, so maybe there's a little bit of Uzbekistan in all of our cars. I hope I mean, so. I like to think so. I like to think so. I mean, I have a I have a Kia, so you know, yeah. Korean car there might be some connection there. Yeah, and I I hope there I hope there's a little bit of Uzbek in my car. Yeah, maybe I I'll, I'll do another DNA test and find there's a little bit in me as well. Yeah, so I was close before. Maybe you were impregnated so. by a car when you didn't realize it. <laughs> just a long road trip and yeah. all of a sudden you're a little bit back. Yeah. Just somebody wandering down the Silk Road one day. Yeah. <laughs> Stepped into the wrong place and here I am. Um, and so uh, now because of that, I, so I followed this one account that I found initially. And since then I've been getting random Uzbeks following me. Oh, awesome. So, so my goal now is to have more Uzbek followers on Instagram than American ones. Yes. I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, so I, I think what I need to do though, to kind of turn all this around or kind of to bring, bring it back is I need to start taking pictures of Chevy's here. 
Yeah. But specifically, like, the ones that they can't get there yet or just won't be yeah. able to get there, like Camaros and Corvettes and stuff. Yeah. Because that'll blow their minds if they see that. Like, they're just used to all these little Chevy compacts that they're trying to yeah. lot out. And then I, I take pictures of, like, all these, like, Camaros and shit that we have here. Oh, yeah. They're going to think, like, that I, you know. See, I thought you were going to say just, like, taking pictures of cabbage. <laughs> Creatures <laughs> of cotton because we do grow some of that. Yeah. So. Well, that goes so that goes into this other thing. So, okay. um, the Arrow Sea was like the second or third largest freshwater body right in the world, and um, basically, as part of Rus- Rus- the Soviet Union's planned economy, they needed to keep producing more cotton, and they became like the supplier of cotton to a large part of the world. Mm-hmm even though they really didn't have the environment for it. Yeah. And part of they did this is by taking water from the Aral Sea yeah. and using this to grow cotton and probably like Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. and Yeah, it's probably not a native crop there. Those pl- in, in those places, because mm-hmm. it, like, cotton's like a really water-intensive right. uh, crop. Also, the way that they were, the way that they were, uh, the canals and stuff they were using to bring the water over were full of leaks and things. And just tons and tons of water either leaked, leaked into the ground or evaporated. Mm-hmm. And so they took like the second or third largest freshwater body of water in the world. And it's just almost gone. It's through this horrible environmental disaster and mismanagement. Yeah. And there's this whole part to so just siphoning it off of like um, water crops and everything. There was like this big agric- agricultural scientist in Russia. I can't think of his name right now. And this was like his big plan for Russia. And he had like this, and it just bombed dramatically. And it's like one of the biggest ecological disasters in the world. Yeah. I can't remember all the details right now, but it's crazy. Like you can see these pictures, of like these big, like ocean sized vessels that would have been on there, all these fishing boats. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, they're just in the middle of nowhere, like hundreds of miles from where water would have been. And they're just sitting out there now, like... Yeah, just because all the water is gone from cotton and mismanagement. Yeah, they're not going to try and, like, bring it back in. Yeah. (laughs) And then they've been trying to, like, kind of hold on to the eastern part of the uh, Aral Sea. So they've made, like, a dam and things. And I think it's technically, like, two different lakes now. It's weird. So... Yeah, no, we could definitely, uh, if you want to, we could uh, go more in depth about that. Yeah, there's point. more to that story, but yeah, no, I'm sure there is. That's where I thought you were gonna go. Uh, okay, but I was very happy with the Uzbek Chevys. Yeah, yeah, that was just, uh, yeah, just kind of um, happened upon that by chance. And like, if I ever start another hockey team, I want to call them Uzdaiwu. <laughs> we should do that, and then we should like get jerseys like in the color of their flag, which yeah. I think is like blue and green and. Yeah. Some red. Um, kind of looks like Kazakhstan a little bit, I think. So yeah. Well, don't tell cool. them that. No, they'd probably be offended by that. Um, it would be cool if we had jerseys that look like the, like the Kazakhstan ones yeah. or something. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess to uh, wrap it up, we'll do one more little thing. Okay. I'll leave it up to you. Uh, we can do some more band names like we did before. Okay. Or we can do something else, which would be new. We've first time we've done it here, but we've messed around a little bit before okay let's try that okay which uh is a little bit more of a game i guess uh okay and this is um sort of a political party bingo type thing sure not really bingo but uh basically uh so 
at least in terms of party names, uh, our country is pretty boring. Mm-hmm. We only have two major parties, and we don't have a lot of exciting names. Yeah, and you just go like the Freedom Party. Yeah, for our parties. They're mostly just like, yeah, like one word. Um, the Korean Nation had a party. That's right, yeah, like a temperance party or something. Yeah. Um, but in other parts of the world, especially like in Europe, uh, a lot more creative party names yeah. there. And they have a lot more parties, too. Yeah. Uh, because you know they have like parliamentary systems, yeah. So you have to you know form majorities and stuff. Yeah, and there's not maybe the same system to block out other parties. Yeah, so you get a lot of these from rising, like, which can be both good and bad. Yeah, right. So you have like all these fringe parties, which is can be both a good and a bad. Thing. Yeah. Um. So I have the names of some of these parties from different countries. Okay. Uh, and I'm just using the English translation of their names. Okay. And that's I think part of the genius of them. So they might have more of a significant meaning in their own language but i'm just going based on the the translated names so i'll give you the name of the party okay and then you tell me what you think they're they're uh where they are on the spectrum their ideology yeah it's like what their platform is um so since we were just talking about uzbekistan you know a former soviet yeah nation maybe we'll do a few uh countries that maybe not necessarily part of the soviet union but were uh, in the Eastern Bloc. Kind of like satellite states. Yeah. So I know one of those was Bulgaria. Okay. So we'll start there. I'll give you a few parties from Bulgaria. Okay. And then you can tell me uh, what you think they, they might represent. Sure. So the first one is called the National Front for the Salvation of Bulgaria. Oh, that's far right. <laughs> yeah. That one was pretty easy. Uh, yeah, so yeah. They're a far right nationalist party. Well, there's two reasons. One, National Front... I think the the National Front in uh, in France has changed their name. Uh, right, probably a PR move. Yeah, but then also just Bulgaria. I just immediately assume they're going to be going the other way and going hard right because yeah. that seems to be happening in a lot of the former satellite states right now. They're proud to call themselves the National Front, but that's usually yeah. If you see National Front in yeah. anything, that's not a good. The sign. National Front, but yeah. Uh, so I was just saying that we have a lot of one, one name parties, but they have a couple in Bulgaria okay. as well. Uh, this one is just called attack. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, the attack party. So I'm not going to be boring and guess far right in all of these parties. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say this is far left. No, this one actually is far right. Okay. Still. Uh, I think the difference on this one is that they're also pro Russia. Okay. So there's some that are like nationalists and that they would, you know, probably be anti-Russia. But this one is yeah. far right, but pro-Russia. Okay. Yeah. So that's the difference. Um, so here's another one name party. Uh, they're just called Will. 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 And so we don't know if they're triumphing. As, as in triumph. Or if they are, I am. <laughs> um, yeah, this one could go either way. I'm going to say they're, I'm going to say they're center left. Uh, this was another right-wing party. Okay. <laughs> so Bulgaria, I don't know what's going on there. But Bulgaria, things are kind of veering pretty hard right. Yeah, so they're they're more of a populist far-right party. So so it's the will of the people. The oh. triumph of the will of the people. <laughs> uh, and the last one is called Yes, Bulgaria. Yes, Bulgaria. Duh. God. I want to guess left, but then, yes, Bulgaria sounds nationalist to Mm me, so I'm going to go that they're also far right. So this one is a bit bit more of a centrist party. Uh, Their main uh, platform is uh, anti-corruption. 
Okay. Anti-corruption is good, but vague. But I also feel like maybe just the center point in Bulgaria might be might be over might be a little to the right of the graph <laughs> exactly yeah um okay so. like i'm guessing they're not great on on uh, trans issues right so they are against corruption but you get into some social issues and they might not be all that different from like attack or yeah on the national front um okay so that was bulgaria let's okay. do another eastern bloc country uh we'll do hungary Okay. Oh boy. Another place with some pretty interesting politics. Yeah, with right uh, Victor Orban. Yeah. So the fact that there are other parties right now there is is kind of miraculous. But yeah, here's a few of them. Um, the first one is called "Politics Can Be Different." Not, not, <laughs> not in Hungary, they can't. But in other places, maybe. Okay, I'm gonna say this is a left wing party. The reason I'm gonna say this is that Victor Orga, Orban is like super far right. Yeah. So this is an alternative to Like, him. he is, like, well right of Trump. So mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that they're, they're left-wing. Yeah, they are. They're a leftist uh, Green Party. But probably not successful at, make, at moving things. But I guess, was it Hungary or, or Poland where they had, like, a close election and almost flipped... Maybe that was Poland. I'm not yeah, sure. Poland. But then, yeah. Yeah. But then they won, and then they banned abortion. That sounds like Poland. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one country is. But Catholic, I'm not positive so. on all these details, so right. this is just like what I vaguely remember. Yeah, I have to see if I have any for Poland yet. I'm I'm sure if I haven't yet, I did. I definitely need to look up Poland because I'm sure they got some pretty good party names. Oh, I'm there. sure. Because then they're Two. also going to get like the Pan Slavic parties. I do have a few from Poland, so we'll do them next. Okay. Uh, but to finish up Hungary, we have uh, Dialogue for Hungary. <laughs> dialogue for Hungary. Mm-hmm. These parties uh, sound very, like, desperate at this point. Yeah, I'm going to go this is left wing, too, but just kind of, like, not, not really going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it is another leftist party. They actually split off from the first one. Uh, the politics can be different, so... Maybe they felt that it wasn't being different enough. And so we need to have a dialogue to figure out what different means. Yeah, we needed to have a dialogue about this. So, yeah, they're another leftist party. Um, The next one is called Our Homeland Movement. Our Homeland Movement. Oh, God. That's far right. Yeah. So that's a right-wing nationalist party. Um, Yeah, and I think that name, anything with, like, Homeland in it was probably... Homeland or National Front. Mm -hmm. There's certain tells. Yeah. Uh, and the last one for Hungary is called Force and Determination. That just sounds like a right-wing party. It is. It's a far-right, ultra-nationalist party. So, Ooh. so if you thought it sounded like a Nazi party, then, yeah. More or less. I'm sure it's probably, I think the one, the one in World War II, the one that was in Hungary during the war, I think was called, like, was it called like the Arrow Cross Party or something like that? Something like that. And this uh, one was forced determination. Yeah, I'm guessing this is probably like a, the natural success of yeah. that, or probably is directly descended Ooh. from that part. I bet you. I, I bet you they're ultras for a soccer for a soccer team. Oh, for sure. I think I even know which one it probably is. Um, I can't remember what they're called now, but yeah, there's there's at least one team in Hungary that has a pretty notorious fan base of like neo Nazis. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess yeah, that would be their party of choice. Yeah. 
Okay, so Poland. Um, only have three from Poland. I think that's I fine. Need to, I need to do a little bit more research there. I, I bet even now there's probably some new ones. That yeah, I'm sure they're popping some, up all the time. Some good names. Uh, but the first one is called "God Bless You." God bless so you. Party. I feel like they're going to be right, right wing, but maybe more more Catholic centric. Um, so they're a conservative party. Okay. Uh, they're monarchist. Oh wow! Interesting, because I don't think does Poland even have a monarchy now? I mean, I'm sure I don't they think did, but currently I, I can't think of them having one now. So maybe but, they want to bring it back. Is their, okay their platform? So who? Are, but who are they going to put? Like, I don't like know. Steve Wozniak? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they have to just pick like a Polish American because like maybe he's descended from like the original one. Yeah, like, they have to find somebody here. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Maybe one of our friends who happens to be Polish. Yeah, I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, he he'd be a better he'd be a better leader than, than the, the current one. than the current one easily. Yeah, at least he believes in science. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, they're a monarchist party, uh, and they're also surprisingly Eurosceptic. So Ooh. maybe if they got in charge, they 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 would appoint a king, and then he would withdraw them from the EU. So. And they could have a Poxit. Folks, it it doesn't work as well, does it? Yeah, I, I saw one time like somebody made like a huge like list of like if every country in Europe left the EU, like yeah, the name that they would call it, yeah, referendum, and I forget what the Poland one was called. Um, are they in the EU now? I think they are, right? Yeah, I believe they are. Okay, so, but if God bless you got in in, in control, then they wouldn't be anymore. Yeah, well, God bless you. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is called the National Radical Camp. <laughs> The National Radical Camp. So, national makes you think of right wing. Yeah. Radical could go left wing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's Poland, so I'm gonna err on the side of hard right. And that would be correct. Uh, yeah, it's a far right nationalist party, uh, and I, often the far right nationalist parties do have camps. Uh, often yeah. For for young people. You do. Um. So, uh, just to drop another podcast. Uh, um, Popular Front. Oh yes, which is another. Yeah, I need to, I need to catch up on episodes. Good in that podcast uh, talks about um, all kinds of conflicts around the world that mm-hmm. you probably don't hear a lot about. Maybe never even heard. I've, I've learned about ones on there that I didn't oh, even yeah. existed. Just stuff that's going on right now in the world that we don't just kind of falls out of the the regular media sphere. Yeah. And other stuff, it's things that we're aware of because like there was an episode mm-hmm. of like the Capitol riots yeah. and stuff, but. Talking to people like, you know, embedded journalists and, you know. Yeah, and trying to find, like, reporters and, and journalists yeah. who are actually in those countries. Yeah, people on the ground that can actually tell you what's going on and not just... And then he like, seems to keep going to Syria. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely, you know, that's that's a conflict that's continued for... You know, we you, Just because we don't hear about it on our news anymore doesn't mean that it stops. I think we just did bombings in Syria. Oh, yeah, so we're back in it. Uh, but he just recently did an episode about the Azov Battalion in the Ukraine. Ooh, I don't, I don't know this one. Do you, do you have you heard of them? No. Oh boy. Okay, so. Are you saying I should listen to this on the way home? I I would recommend it. Yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, so the Azov Battalion just briefly is, uh, they were formed during the the war when it first broke out in Ukraine, like when they were fighting the Russian separatists yeah. in the east, which and that's also still going on. Uh, but the problem with them is that they're basically a Nazi group. 
Oh. And uh, but they've now sort of been incorporated into like the Ukrainian military. Yep. And they actually have like equipment from them and stuff, and it's oh boy, and camps, training camps, and so. Is it something where like, maybe they're anti-Russian, but then they're Nazis? Yeah, they're anti-Russian, but anti a lot of other people as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the problem. Uh, but at the same time, a lot of people there support them because they associate them with fighting for Ukraine's independence or fighting against the Russians and stuff. Yeah. And they're sort of overlooking their ideology. And Sometimes when so. you're desperate for an ally, and to be mm-hmm. fair, too, some of this has been created by, like, the West is basically abandoning Ukraine and right. refusing to stand up against Russia when they took when they took over Crimea and were trying to take over Donetsk and things. Yeah. so it creates this vacuum, and then it, it usually gets filled by even worse people. So. Yeah. Um, and then the last party from Poland is called the Catholic Intellectuals Club. Ooh. Which, uh... <laughs> well, uh, just Catholic is going to be right, Wayne. Yeah. So it's it's a pro-church, you know, yeah. very conservative party, as you might imagine yeah. from the name. It sounds like something that, like, Franco would have established in Spain. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that was just a survey of, of a few countries' yeah. parties in Europe, and there's there's plenty more. And I've also started to explore some parties from outside of Europe and some other countries as well. And Oh, wow. If we get into, like, Africa, Australia, um, there's some great names there as well. So Japan has some of the best political party names. Okay, I have not gotten to Japan yet. I haven't really done a lot in Asia, but, yeah, I will. There's things like Happy Science and things. and <laughs> Yeah, I, I was starting to get into Asia. I've looked at, like, the Philippines and Malaysia, but, yeah, I need to yeah, get no, to Japan. Japan. And then a fair Korea. amount of them are, like, linked to, like, cults and things oh like om shimrikyo and stuff like that yeah well different ones and i find it like dako nakamats is in a cult (laughs) um (laughs) and then some of them are like regional like there's one party uh where their whole thing is they want to turn osaka into a mega region just on its own like a yeah it's still part of japan but like its own mega region kind of like Oh, okay. Kind of like, like uh, Tokyo, like... where it's like one area, oh, okay. but then it's like made of these different groups. It's like a whole weird reorganization thing. Okay. And it's like, it's like, it sounds like, okay, maybe there's a reason for that. But then they're also pretty hard right on some things. So there are reasons for doing it might be the problem. Like you could see yeah. like there might be practical reasons why it would make sense for Osaka to be yeah. a separate organ or like a separate, uh, division or like a yeah you know region or whatever but then the reason why they want to do it is you know maybe that's the problem because i'm sure it involves kicking out somebody yeah oh god yeah like one of the parties and again i think we'll save this for another time i'll just say that they split off from the japanese innovation party Japanese Innovation Party. Yep. Ooh. <laughs> but I have not read up on these parties yet. Or if you want, maybe if you want to gather some of those from Japan, maybe some other Asian ones, and then yeah. I'll, I'll guess those ones. Because I'm not oh, too yeah. familiar with any of their parties, so. Oh, no, there's some good ones. <laughs> okay, cool. And a lot a lot of them are based in Osaka. Ah, so is Osaka kind of like a hotbed for... For different political thought and things, mm-hmm. um, it is. Mm. It, yeah, it's like, it's interesting. Mm. 
You wouldn't expect it when you go to Osaka either, because it's like a that's really... That's right, because you've been there, right? Yeah, and that's like a really cool city. It's like mm. very mellow. It's like kind of like my favorite part of Japan so far, but you know I've only seen parts of the country. Mm. But yeah, there's some interesting political movements going on in Osaka. <laughs> I wonder if that goes back like even before like modern Japan, if it was maybe yeah like in like in the feudal time or like during like the emperor. Yeah, like we won't go into this now, but I just give you. Two names that were represented in the Diet in the past. Okay. The New Party for Salaried Men. <laughs> and the Happiness Realization Party. Okay, those are awesome. But yeah, I think I need to do research to tell you exactly where they fit on the yeah. political spectrum. Yeah, I'm just glad that there is a party that represents the salary man. Yes. Somebody needs to be looking out for that. Well, yeah, I think they're basically their platform is uh, building capsule hotels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> arguing for for late for late later tr- trains. Uh huh. And um, making sure that hand jobs remain legal. Right. But then weirdly, they're also pro blurring of pornography. <laughs> That's just like but they one, prefer it, they prefer it that way. They, just to kind of hold on to the more uh, the more traditional vote, they have to. Yeah. They, you know that's just uh, that's just you don't touch that. That's like the third rail of Japanese politics. No, you don't touch the. If you if you if you try to remove the boring. Yeah. Then there's a segment of population that would be very angry because you think yeah. they would want it unblurred, but for whatever reason. It's just not. The it's same. just become. It's just become home to them. If you've grown up on that, then yeah, you can't. If you it's actually, their, it's their comfort. If you actually saw vagina, you would be disgusted. Yeah, I was gonna say it was their comfort, but Japan has some issues of comfort. <laughs> they were in their comfort zone. Oh God, yeah. that reminds me. So my favorite thing that I did when I was in Japan. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of my favorite things, but I think the thing that's the most me of Japan uh-huh. is that I, when we were in Kyoto, I visited uh, Mimizuka. The Mimizuka Shrine. The Mimizuka yes. Shrine. Um, it's a controversial shrine in Kyoto. Um, there's been massive... There's been a, a prolonged argument between the Japanese and Korean uh, governments about the shrine and whether remains should be repatriated. Basically, it's known as um, the nose mound or the ear mound. Yeah. Um, and basically, it contains the noses and ears... Of approximately 50,000 Koreans from the 1600, 1600s or so. Yeah, I so. Forgot the exact exact war yeah, that it came from. from like the early Japanese conquests. In but basically Korea. the idea was in order for soldiers to prove that they killed people, they had to collect a nose or ear yeah. to do that. And then all these noses and ears they collected were put into the shrine. Mm-hmm. And then now it's the same where it's like... Um, Korea wants to torn down or at least the remains repatriated. Japan says that they can't repatriate the remains because they don't want to they don't want to disturb a sacred site. Yeah, so it's sort of a like a unsolvable force versus a movable object. Yeah, and then like one concession was the Japanese government stopped funding the maintenance of the shrine, but it's now just been taken over by the local community. And yeah. they're now maintaining the shrine. When you go there, signs there are only in Japanese and Korean. There are no English language signs whatsoever. Right. And apparently the only people that kind of go by there are like Japanese nationalists uh-huh. or 
order lots of Korean tours to go there because yeah. it's a very sore subject for them. Yeah, so, so it's, it's not one of the highlights of their trip, maybe, but they go maybe to pay respect. Yes. Uh, or because they feel strongly about, you know, bringing back the remains or whatever. And so me being the person that I am, that was my top priority for Kyoto. <laughs> so so this shrine, It wasn't like the Fushimi and Ari Shrine, yeah. the Bamboo Forest... All the traditional drawings, any of the any of the things that could have been there, the mountains, yeah. any of that stuff. It was going to me Mizuka because I'm the type of history nerd where it's just like, oh, this is a controversial um a monument. It's kind of like this um holdover of Imperial Japan, which by the way, mm. there's more Imperial Japan Still around there. than I think people may want to um admit. Yeah, and I'm sure there's probably some interesting things kind of in the anime and things, but like you like to think, okay, Imperial Japan is gone, but there's times where it's just like there's times where you're kind of reminded, like, oh no, they're still around, hmm. and it's not even really like a and not just in like a ceremonial way or anything, right? But yeah, like, or even even that frowned upon. It's like it's yeah. fairly fairly mainstream. Yeah, like they're not like just like dressing up and stuff, but there are still people that like want those days back or oh yeah they want to like reestablish the emperor or you know some people may still and there's a lot of tension between japan Mm -hmm. and south korea and then also china because of manchuria right and this is like it's interesting so maybe there's some people that are like we already have this shrine like it doesn't say that we can't add more yeah so basically if you wonder if like japan has their version of maybe kind of like um People like thinking the South will rise again. They do. Yeah. And I think that's probably in a lot of places, especially in, in places where they maybe, you know, suffered a loss, a heavy loss yeah. in a war, like the South or like Japan. There's always sort of like a lost cause mentality of people that kind of yeah. have this um, kind of like romanticized view of the past. They want to bring back, you know, they, they reestablish their greatness or whatever. Also, too, I think it's something crazy like. Left-wing parties have only been in charge twice for Japan and for, like, very brief periods. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, since the end of the war, it's basically just been right-wing governments in Japan in, in charge. Yeah. Some of that was kind of encouraged by MacArthur. Right. And then some of it is kind of just where Japan falls on the political spectrum. Yeah. Because obviously they were probably one of the fastest countries to industrialize mm-hmm. in, in Korea too. Well, Korea Korea had the I guess depending on your perspective, the benevolent air quotes dictator. Right. But then, like I think, like one of their recent presidents also was like the daughter or the child of their dictator of the oh, yeah. of the dictator. I, I think so. But I think that was also the one that had the uh, massive corruption scandals. Right, and, and the, yeah. So I think so, the daughter. Yeah, but like Japan especially because they went from being, you know, pretty isolationist. Yeah. For a long time when they finally kind of opened themselves up to the West and then mm-hmm. they realized, you know, like how far behind they were at that time. This mm-hmm. would have been like in like the late 1800s. Yeah. When it was still like mostly like a feudal country. Yeah. With the emperors and stuff. And, uh, and then they were seeing like, you know, like uh, the Western powers had, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, like steamships and cannons and all this shit. Yeah. And then, like, they immediately started to, like, you know, modernize. Yeah, they, they industrialized rapidly. Yeah, like, in 20 years. And mm-hmm. then 
you know, by World War II, they were, you know, on the same level with, you know, the technology yeah. and stuff, uh, which we saw a little bit of mm-hmm. um, when we were down in Tucson. We went to the, the Pima Air <laughs> oh, and Space God. Museum. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we saw, um, well, we, the first thing we saw, we, and we saw this when we went there a few years ago, was uh, there's a few mannequins there. Oh, boy. Yeah. Which, a little problematic. Um, uh, yeah, they are. Um... So they, they, they show there's there's American ones and there's some Japanese ones. They just show like the the, the uniforms for air crew from World War II. Yeah, period. I don't know if I call the Japanese ones realistic. No, that, I think they would have been realistic to somebody in 1941. Yes, like like our propaganda posters, you know. Which yeah, you've probably seen like if it was a Bugs Bunny, uh, yeah, cartoon from from the war. Right, that's basically what these mannequins look like. The Japanese ones. It's kind of jarring. Yeah, as opposed to like the American ones that all look like you know like department store mannequins, like Ken dolls. And yeah, shit. yeah. So that was a little jarring. There was effort for, put into these, and that maybe was not. Effort well spent. Yeah, and I don't know if you noticed this too, but there was there was a few you know German ones like from World War Two. Oh, I miss those. Um, it was around the rocket, like they had a V one rocket there. Yeah, they have a few. They had a few like um, Luftwaffe planes as well, but they had a couple of mannequins at the the V one rocket display that had no face. Ah, so I thought that was a little bit weird because like they they yeah they spent Eyes a little bit of extra time face. on the, on the yeah. They spend extra time on the Japanese ones, and then the German ones have no face at all, which is weird. Yeah, because I, I would have thought you could just t- you could have just taken the American ones and reuse them. Because no, whatever. it had to be different. Yeah, but then the thing that really stood out is they had like some. Um, I don't know if they were tactically zeros, but they had some. Um, they had some Japanese planes in the war that, uh, let's say, did not have landing gear. Yeah, so there was there was one there was it was uh, I guess a prototype and apparently it, it never actually went into production. It was a little too late in the war, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was designed basically. It was a it was a single use plane. Yeah, uh, and it had uh, disposable landing gear. Like people get angry about a single use straw or or fork. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, they are I, making single-use airplanes. Yeah, and, and they actually, they probably could have used a lot of recycled materials to build it because it doesn't need to last. No. Yeah, it was it was one and done. Right? <laughs> That's the way it was designed. So it was basically like this thing was made out of like canvas and balsa wood. Yeah. And it was basically just meant to get up in the air long enough to crash into something. Yeah. And to be loaded with like fuel or with explosives or whatever. Yep. Yeah, and then there was also the flying bomb. Did you see? It was, I think it was right next to it. Yeah, which I know they did use that. It was basically like it was a bomb with a couple of little like wings on it and like just enough space to like put a cockpit on top and like squeeze somebody into it to basically yeah. just guide this thing into a ship and blow it up. So, yeah, yeah. So those were a couple of the highlights for us going to that museum. <laughs> like other people are probably like, oh, I got to see the B seventeen, or I got yeah. to see like the. There was a couple, there's a few Air Force Ones, like retired ones yeah. down there. Like for other people, that, that's like the highlight well, of their trip. To there was also place. that thought too, like when we were looking at the B-17 and I think it had flown like 114 missions or something ridiculous. Yeah. But then you're thinking, well, this was a bomber. <laughs> this. I know. It's not th- as cool as like if this, you got to this, see it this, ha- this, this has a body count. Oh, yeah. Like Probably I don't know what it one. was. Yeah, you can't really count, but. But. 
you know, let's say 114 successful missions. A lot of bombs. Let's say there's at least a few thousand people that have been claimed by this thing. Very likely, yeah. I guess, like, and then that's the problem, too, is like with the the bombing, it's like, yeah, some of it hit civilians. some of it hit military of, sites, but yeah. a lot of it was like factories or maybe people didn't really have a choice or, uh-huh. or just populated areas. And there's kind of that uncomfortable And how feeling. much of that was intentional. And, yeah, yeah. And this is like different time, different situation, but then it's sort of like, oh, a lot of these are probably fairly innocent people. And that's not to say that like these things were unnecessary given the war and everything. It's just, Looking at this from this other context and thinking of like, oh God, look, what was the civilian toll of this plane? Yeah. Like, I'm sure it did some great things to help end the war, but then there's just that other part of like, ooh, what was, how much chaos and destruction was caused by this that maybe wasn't needed. But yeah. that's, a, that's an easy thing to say in retrospect. That's easy to say when we're out of the war and we're out of that situation versus when you're in the thick of it and your friends and family have been killed. and Right. But yeah, to see a lot of those things up close, you do kind of think of it just because, at least for me, mm-hmm. uh, I was pretty uh, amazed at the size of a lot of those planes. Yeah. Because just for whatever reason, I guess, because you're used to seeing them like in the sky or if you're only seeing them in pictures and stuff that you just don't think they're as big as they actually are. Yeah. Like even seeing some of the more modern fighter jets that they had there, like the F-14s and F-18s and stuff like that. Yeah. And they look like, I, I would just assume that they're, well, they're probably about as big as a car, but just with wings. Yeah. But no, they're like as long as a bus. They're huge. Yeah. And they only hold one or two people, but mm-hmm. most of that space is devoted to the engine and then, of course to the Fuel the bombs and bombs. And fuel. Yeah. And what's also interesting too is like how rough some of those are. Because like you think, oh, this is like... Yeah. Really advanced engineering. Uh-huh. And then it's just like kind of like riveted together. Yep. With what, what almost looks like sheet metal sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that some of them, even though for as advanced as they are, they can look very crude. And then some of that too, I know, is like when they pressurize and gaps and things close. And so yeah. you're not just designing for... It doesn't have to be airtight because it's going to be Ground level, but you're designing for being like thirty or 50,000 feet up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it all has a reason. But when you see them just sitting there on the ground, it is a little bit uh, weird because, yeah, we were looking at one, like there was like some kind of like a guidance system that was like, mm-hmm. that was strapped to the nose of this one plane. It was just like basically just held on with like little Phillips head screws that you could almost like finger tighten or, yeah. or, or unscrew. So, but eh, I guess it works because a lot of the planes yeah. that we saw there were in service for decades, mm-hmm. flew a lot of missions. So, but yeah, sometimes when you look at them, you're just like, how the hell did that fly? Yeah, there's other ones where it's like, how did this ever get off the ground? And this looks ridiculous. But um, yeah, so it is a cool place to check out if you're ever down yeah. there. Um, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, but yeah, maybe just don't think about the body count while you're there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How many people that these machines Wasn't there def- a metal band called Body Count? Yeah, that was the... Uh, it was the one with like Ice T or Ice yeah. Cube. It was like one of like the early rap metal crossover things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was body count. I think that's a good note to end this on. I think so. Yeah. Not all bad body counts are bad. <laughs> or at least... <laughs> yeah, would... yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, normally the way we we sign off, uh, other than other than that, is uh, <laughs> is from one of our favorite films, Masters of the Universe. Uh, so live the journey for every destination is but a doorway to another. I was trying to remember the exact quote. Yeah, that's what it is. I, I guess the way I remember is we don't say goodbye, we say good journey. Yeah, so that's how it, yeah that's how you start it. Um, but yeah, so that's where it comes from. Um, but yeah, so that's what we learned is that. Every car in Uzbekistan is a Chevy and that not all body counts are bad. Yes. So good journey. Good journey.